showing up for ourselves, being our own advocate, and knowing how to connect to our inner truths and express them to the world. Those are all things that we want. And yet, it can be really hard to know how to do that and to even believe that it's possible. And so in today's episode, we have a special opportunity because I am interviewing Kate, who is a former client of mine. She went through my soul activation training, and she's also a coach. And she shares some of her insights in terms of how she has been an advocate for herself. And she offers tips into the ways in which we can help ourselves through burnout, the ways in which we can connect within other avenues for being tapped into our own intuition beyond mindset. Things like using music, using energy, using human design, all as aspects for reconnecting to the truth within. And so I cannot wait to share this episode with you. We recorded it uh, some time ago, but I think now is the perfect time for it to release as we're getting in on this new year. Uh, Kate has some incredible insights to share with you, and you'll also see links to be able to access more from Kate in the show notes. So make sure you check those out as well. Okay, I'll turn it over to the interview now. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you for having me. This is awesome. And just great to reconnect with you in this way. So my name is Kate Ruder. I am a mind and body intelligence coach for entrepreneurs. So I am a coach for those entrepreneurs who are on the verge of burnout. They've hit an income plateau. And then I teach them how to leverage mind and body intelligence so they can optimize their performance develop much greater resilience and in leadership and break through their income ceiling. I am also a mom, a cancer survivor, and an internationally best-selling author. So thanks again for having me. Yes, thank you. And you mentioned burnout as one of the, the key pieces you're helping your clients with. Uh, this podcast, we've done a couple different episodes on burnout, but I'd love to hear more about your opinion on what what should people look out for to know if they're in burnout? Like, what are the signs? There is a mind component to it, which is kind of the mindset piece. It's related to our thoughts and opinions about the work we're doing or whatever is leading to the burnout, right? And the circumstances of that occupation or business. And then there's the energy, the physical component, right? The body part of it. And that can show up in lots of different ways. Um, fatigue. I mean, when we say the word burnout, it's kind of all encompassing of just exhaustion and a lack of desire to show up in the way that we used to. And certainly that draining sen sense that we get um, just in our body, right? It's just like, oh my gosh, the dread of actually sh having to show up again in the same way. So it's kind of all those pieces rolled into one. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it uh, talked about in terms of the the three components of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and then the the personal accomplishment, which I, I hear in everything that you just shared. So for people who, who are on the verge of burning out, what can they do to, to stop it from going all the way into full-blown burnt out? For high achievers especially, it is so hard for them to even consider the idea of pausing. But we need to take a pause and slow down and 
with the right tools, assess what's going on, right? And we can't do that when we're in this frantic, activated nervous system, kind of like hustle mode at the same time that we're feeling exhausted, right? There's not much we can do um, action-wise. So we really just have to stop and assess. When we get confirmation that we're experiencing burnout, the next phase of that is to kind of reassess and reevaluate what's leading to it and then start to reprioritize. But in order to do that, we have to stop and sort of take this bird's eye view to look at what's going on so that we can problem solve effectively. I think sometimes it can be hard for people to think about pausing because they just think about all the work that could pile up from it, which, I mean, I want to acknowledge that that really could be the case. And yet that still can be a little short-sighted because it doesn't take into account what'll happen after. If you you don't take the break and the work doesn't pile up, it just piles on you still. You still have to do the work and then your health can suffer as a result of it. And so it's almost a lose-lose situation. And if that's the case, the path you lose less might be the one where you do pause, you give yourself that time, you find a way to build in a break so you don't break. You mentioned the the nervous system response too and, and how that comes up and the body response. So for those listening, if they've identified, yes, this is resonating. I think I'm on the verge of burning out. Perhaps I already have. They notice the way that their body feels. What, what advice would you give them to work through some of the nerves that they're experiencing? That is a loaded question, right? Because there are, depending on how deep and scientific you want to go, there are exercises and things that can be done physically with the body to help calm the nerves. Um, Breathing is probably the first go-to that you'll hear anyone in personal development, right? Talk about or energy work is the power of the breath. And again, that requires this pause. So we have to pause. We have to tune into our own body physically. And for instance, right, pay attention to the way that we're breathing and just doing that for few minutes can have such a great impact on the nervous system to calm it down. And it takes more work for some than others, depending on, you know, what conditioning we have and other things going on. But I would say just that slow, deep breathing, closing your eyes, maybe reminding yourself that you're safe, right? That you have shelter, you're in a safe space is enough to help us separate from that fight or flight that our body likes to go into sometime. Yeah. Yeah. And you've talked about feelings a lot in this, not necessarily from the emotional sense, more from that intuitive sense. What, what do you do to help yourself connect to that intuition? I will say my top three go-tos, which I go through phases, right? There's a long list of ways that we can do that. But right now my top three go-tos are getting quiet. And that may be taking three minutes to just go into my bedroom and just lay flat on my bed and just close my eyes and breathe. Um, It may be getting quiet and lighting a candle or doing any sort of like one of the rituals that I have available to me that I practiced or meditation, but something that requires kind of going internally and getting quiet. I will say that another one is connecting with nature. So grounding, literally putting my feet barefoot in the grass, um, taking a few grounding breaths and doing a little bit of a visualization of what that, um, you know, feels like. And then the third is music because (laughs) 
music is something I am incredibly passionate about. I love singing. So whether I am singing to get the energy out or dancing with my kids in the kitchen, or I often will put on Spotify very low, like meditative instrumental music while I'm doing coaching sessions, just it creates such an ambiance and this like calming, um, calming vibe for me. And then sometimes, right. I'm also listening to hip hop and whatever, when I go exercise. So I'm always using music too, to help me step into the energy I want to. So those are the three things that I go to. Mm, Okay. So with the music piece, what is it about music that allows that to happen? Oh, another loaded question. Um, there is a book. I don't remember in the name of the author. It, um, I don't remember the name of the author, but the book is called, this is your brain on music. So if you want to get really scientific about the effects of music on our brain, I mean, there's so many studies about this. It is hard to explain and express how impactful music can be on our brain. So mentally, and emotionally, as well as physically, right? Because they inspire us to move or sit still or calm down. And um, the way songs are written, even, it takes us through an emotional experience. Um, There's a lot of science behind that as well. So there's just something about music and also also like ritualistic music at certain frequencies that affect our brain and help us maybe focus better or relax more or fall asleep faster. There are just, there's, it's a, it's a Pandora's box of <laughs> tools in and of itself. Um, but in it, in the simplest form, it's just to like create a mood. It's just to help dictate, dictate and define a mood that we're looking for. So yeah, there's a lot there. But, um, I mean, and it brings back memories sometimes, right? We can listen to a song and it evokes a feeling or emotion from something in our memory and our archives that we may not have even like thought about in some time. So I think everyone's experienced that kind of nostalgia with music at some point and can relate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to think about music because even if there are no words where you can analyze the words, there's still all the emotion. And, and you said mood, it, it, it creates a mood for us. And I know for myself and my husband, we've, we listen to, I forget what it's called, but it's a certain frequency and it's about healing every night. And I have never slept so soundly. And we recently started this just like a couple months ago, first, because there was a noise outside that was keeping us up. And so we were like, let's drown it out with more music. But what I didn't realize was the the bonus effect that that would create in terms of the level of calm peace that comes over me now because of the sound that I'm listening to. Yeah, I think we forget about it sometimes too. Um, even as a musician and someone who is musical, has that talent and loves it, I, I would realize sometimes that I think because when I was hustling so hard and I was in that burnout, I wasn't enjoying life like I could. And so I wouldn't even consider or think to put it on. And I was really missing out because once I became more intentional about it and I remember it as a tool that I can go to, to even change the mood of the room, like with the kids, if they need calming down or, um, we just want to adjust the mood of the home. It's, it's so easy to right flip on a device <laughs> and just play music of our choice. So 
um, being intentional about it is it takes work, but yes, it's kind of like once you experience the benefit of that and it's like, Ooh, what, how else can I use music, you know, around the home or with work to, to help me with the mood I want. And this is making me think too, listeners, when, when you're in a, a state where you don't feel like yourself or you feel uh, really stressed or whatever it might be, sometimes it's hard for us to go and analyze our thoughts because we're in, we're already in a heightened stress reaction. So music could be the step you take as opposed to trying to analyze what's going on right in that moment, take a step back, turn on something soothing or calming and use that as that next step to set the stage for you then to, to process what's going on. Yeah. You need to create a playlist on Spotify called soul activation (laughs) and give your listeners a place to go. Right. Because it is for those of us who may not um, have been going or may not have been going to music, we kind of don't know where to start. And I hear this a lot. Like, like what kind of playlist should I look up? Or I don't even, it's been so long since I paid attention to what I heard on the radio. And so um, if it, if it is kind of a, if it's unfamiliar, it can help to have a go-to playlist or, um, or a set of them. I, I have many saved that I go to. I love that. Use those. If you're on Spotify, use those to your advantage to create a little bit of a library of things you can go to. So you've been on quite a journey with your business and you've taken us through bits and pieces of it. What's helped you keep the momentum going through these different phases of your life? The first thing that comes to mind is always having a coach, (laughs) having someone I connect with, um, who I respect and investing in myself and in my business that way, which I have done consistently since I started in like 2017, when I was rebooting my business has been phenomenal. I mean, I cannot even talk about how valuable it is to have a coach. Um, if it's in alignment, right. With, with the energy and whatever outcome it is you're looking to get. So that's helped me. Um, I actually did a post today, which when this comes out, it will be probably, you know, um, months ago, but on LinkedIn. And I was talking about how, you know, we're all human. So even us coaches, we tend to fall into these periods or phases where we're maybe not in the best of integrity with our work. Maybe we're not being our own client, right? We're not following the guidance that we are so good at giving to others. And when I find that I get into those little ruts, I just, I have to go back to basics and really just like put myself through my own program again and use the tools and start being intentional on a daily basis around doing the work. So part of it is having a coach and a guide to help um, with the accountability piece and to show you things you don't see. But then the other part of it is being willing to make the space and make the time to work on ourselves as individuals, as entrepreneurs or career professionals, doing the mindset work, actually using the tools and walking the walk, right? Practicing what we preach. Mm, That's such good advice. I know for myself, sometimes I like learning about how the mind works or different modes of energy and things like that. And so 
it looks like I'm doing the work because I'm taking in information and I'm learning new concepts. But what I realize is sometimes I actually use that as a distraction from having to actually sit with myself and truly process what's going on. And I've got to catch myself sometimes because it's it's easier for me to be in research mode than it is for me to be in process and release mode just because there's so much vulnerability when you're with yourself by yourself, noticing yourself, holding yourself, having compassion for yourself. There's there's a lot of space for you to to be afraid of being intimate with yourself in that way. At least this has been my experience. So finding ways to hit pause, to have some compassion for the human that that you are, whether whether you're a coach or a career professional, an entrepreneur, all of the above, to know that it's okay to, to not always have it right. And to notice too, your own little distractions that you use that look productive, that maybe are actually ways you're kind of keeping yourself safe by not letting yourself see who you who you really are in that moment and process and be with you. We get so creative, don't we? Finding ways to avoid doing that that hard work that doesn't feel so good and doesn't feel as easy as learning something new, which feels good. But yes, it's that consuming versus creating or actually <clears throat> turning internal, right? In, inside and actually having a an honest look at what's going on, or even in the moments where we need to just say, I am really struggling with this. I'm afraid to be vulnerable, but I need coaching on it. And I know after we worked together, I had another session with you and we did some coaching and it, it can feel very vulnerable to, um, you know, to show up and say like, I'm really struggling. I don't, I, I need another perspective. I need coaching on this, but if we're not willing to dig deep in those moments and really work on ourselves, then it's just going to inhibit our growth and our potential. Mm. Yeah. This is making me think too about like the workplace. It's easy to put on the facade of everything's fine when inside things don't feel fine, but you're not even letting yourself see that. So what wisdom, insights, strategies would you offer to people who feel disconnected from themselves? I mean, what I am an advocate of is that if you're if you're ready to do the work, you're truly committed to making change, you want to start one with small steps that you can commit to being consistent with, right? Um, and choose things. And as I'm saying this, a lot of these strategies for creating new habits come from Atomic Habits by James Clear. Excellent book. Make it easy for yourself to try this new habit to work on yourself, right? To get connected with yourself by choosing something that feels exciting or feels good, right? That you're more inclined to do. Like people who hate writing, telling them to journal is just maybe not the best first step for them, right? Um, those who love music, I would say, absolutely, like find a meditation with music, right? Or a guided meditation and use that to <clears throat> help you heal or whatever it is you're working on or the ways you want to connect with yourself. Um, I mean, it's a great question because there are hundreds of ways that we can connect with ourselves, um, but we have to 
we have to one, be ready and committed to doing the work and make it something that we can easily be consistent with and something that we actually, that feels exciting or else we're just going to, our brain will talk ourselves out of it. <laughs> right? Like, Oh, that feels like such a drag. Um, but the, the last thing I'll add is that when we do take that initiative to start with the new habit or start reconnecting with ourselves, doing this hard work, when we finish, make sure you acknowledge that you took that, that step, right. And give yourself a pat on the back figuratively or literally and allow yourself to reward yourself in that moment for doing it, because that's going to make it easier to do it the next time when your brain wants to, you know, procrastinate or just push it off to the next day. Right. If you remember that it felt so good when I was done, just like doing exercise, right. Congratulate yourself, pat yourself on the back. Like you got to the gym, you did the workout and you, you know, you did a good job. So that little like reward system for our brain can be really helpful. Mm, I love that you bring that up. It's so easy to forget that because it we feel like we're just doing what we should do. So why why should you get a reward? This is just status quo, but you didn't have to do it. And yet you showed up for yourself anyways. You created the space for yourself to do that for yourself. That's worthy of praise. That's worthy of recognition. And if we think about the type of leader we want to be for ourselves as well as for others, it's not usually the leader that denies all praise and ignores any accomplishment. It's somebody that acknowledges, hey, here's what I'm noticing. Here's what's working. Great job. And we can be that for ourselves first. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about having these changes be long-term and sustainable, right? That type of reward system, when we get good and consistent at doing it, is going to create more lasting change than punishing our way to a result. And just like, oh, that was so hard. I can't, I'm so glad I got through it and it's over now. Right. And like that, it's like a feeling of punishing your way to the result you want. It's just not going to be as effective and, and long lasting as rewarding yourself and enjoying the, actually enjoying the journey of it. Yeah. Oh, good point. Because we, we have this illusion that the point is the accomplishment. And so punishing ourselves there doesn't maybe seem like a problem if the point is the accomplishment. When if we really look at life and the ever-flowing nature of it, there is no, there's no end destination. It's always going. So the way there is more so the point than the end, which means if you're punishing yourself to get to where you think you're supposed to go, you've missed, you've kind of missed the point entirely. Yeah. We think we're gonna feel a certain way when we get to that goal, right? That that bar, that horizon. But when we get there, we just push it further. <laughs> yeah. right? And we don't even really feel that different. So if that's going to be the case, why don't we actually pause for a little bit longer and acknowledge that we got there, turn back and look at how much we've gained. A lot of this is being borrowed from the book, The Gap in the Gain as well, but pay attention to what we've gained to get there and then celebrate that just by feeling the good feelings of having achieved it and enjoy it for just a little bit longer than most of us do, which is like, okay, I did it. Don't feel any different. What's the next milestone, right? And moving that horizon further. It's just because that creates that sort of hamster wheel, which also, again, can lead to burnout, right? Either in the workplace or in our own business, if we're an entrepreneur. And we just never quite feel satisfied if we're just punishing our way there and not even enjoying it when we get there. Yeah. In the same way we spoke earlier about the the not wanting to sit with ourselves, 
that that applies to this part too, the satisfaction, letting yourself feel the delight of what you've let yourself create or the way you've been leading yourself forward. And you mentioned earlier about how to connect with yourself. One, you know, be ready. And so it's not this force mechanism where we try to force ourselves through ourselves. It's more of this compassionate guidance with ourselves. And then you also mentioned the the value of finding a way to connect that feels good to you. And so I love this kindness that that brings. And, and for me, like you mentioned, uh, journaling is a way many do that. For me, if if I'm in the thick of it, journaling often isn't the way there because it feels like this homework, <laughs> this task, this chore. For me, it's often singing and it's not even necessarily words. It's just kind of whatever tone feels like it wants to to emerge. And that's a way for me to let go. And it's so easy because I don't need paper. I don't need pen. I don't need thoughts. I just vocalize and it releases. So connection doesn't have to require like this analytical knowledge. It could simply be being with yourself in that way. Yeah. And depending on how woo or energetic you want to get, right? Our body is, has so many parts to it and so many senses and so, and different chakras, right? And so for you and myself included, right? Singing, throwing music on and just like vocalizing, or I know for some, I have clients who do some chanting rituals. It's using one of our chakras, right? That throat chakra, which feels really good to you and is really helpful to me as well. And for some others, it might be like, oh my gosh, no, that feels terrible, right? I would much rather write in peace and quiet. And so we have to lean into what feels good. But um, speaking about intuition, right? The body, our bodies know what they need. And if we get just quiet enough and ask it, we'll often find the answer will just be delivered, right? Our body will know. And in a moment, just to ask yourself, right? What do you need right now? Sometimes I do that and I notice, oh my gosh, I need water so badly. I did not even realize how thirsty I was, right? Or I need a bathroom break. And we just, if we don't pay attention to our body and we're just like doing, 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 then we're neglecting the signals that it is just waiting to give us. So yes, like asking like, what feels, what will feel really good to me right now? Here's my list of options. What would feel really good body? What, what, what kind of way do we want to connect with ourselves today? Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that we're bringing the body into this because it's such a a useful tool that I think in today's world, we often don't go to first. We think about how we feel or we think about how we think, but we don't often use the body to guide us. So for somebody wanting to get more in touch with that, you offered a great question that everyone can ask themselves. Is there anything else that could help somebody connect with that body that you'd like to share? I will say paying attention to what we consume, being more mindful about what we are putting into our body. Sometimes um, asking, and I'm not like a nutrition expert by any means, but like asking, what is it my body is wanting right now? Um, Not from like a craving indulgent perspective, but like maybe I'm craving sugar, but what do I really need? Oh, I'm actually thirsty. I just need to drink some water. So we have to practice doing it to get better at it, but being intentional about everything we're doing with our body, the way we're sitting, you know, noticing where we're tense. And it's so much more helpful and easy to do that when we get quiet and we 
dedicate sacred space to doing it. It doesn't need to take long, but just a minute or two. And we'll notice the signs. Our body will tell us, but it is so often neglected and even sabotaged. And it's such a tragedy that we do this because I will say, having gone through my cancer diagnosis um, and I had melanoma, which is the most fatal form of skin cancer. It's not just skin cancer, but I would not be here today if I had not gone to Moffitt and had that surgery. And from that experience, I learned, it reminded me that we have one vessel. We have this one physical body in this lifetime and we get to choose. Are we going to take care of it and pay attention to what we consume as best as possible, right? Or are we going to damage it and abuse it by going for things that maybe have short-term benefits, but do not help us in the long-term. So it really did change my perspective on the choices that I want to make for my body. And I'm human. I'm not always perfect. Right. And so, um, but the respect for it really does, it helps us in so many ways, right? Cause it helps us physically feel better, but it also can help our mental acuity. It helps us it helps us energetically with how we feel throughout the day based on what we consume. Um, it helps us for me, like going to the gym is so I can feel really strong because my little seven and eight year old daughters run circles around me and I need the energy to keep up with them. So that is one of the reasons that I like to stay fit is because it just gives me more energy to show up and be a better mom. And so there's just so many benefits available to us by paying more attention to how we're treating that vessel. You'd mentioned about whether it's a craving versus something your body really needs. And, and what I find for myself is, is if I'm confused on that, I'll ask myself to imagine after like, okay, if I ate that thing, not in the moment, but five minutes later, 10 minutes later, how would I feel? Would I feel better? The same worse. And that usually guides me to know, okay, that, that was a craving. Cause usually the cravings, it's like amazing in the moment and then it's gone and it's either neutral or honestly, I feel kind of worse from it. Not from a judgment place, even just from like, my body doesn't feel as good. But if I, if it's more of the body led, I tend to find it feels refreshing. Such a great question. And it, I love that it taps into our association with our future self, right? What do we want for that longer term? How will I feel after? Such a good question. And, you know, it also speaks to that whole reward system we were talking about before, because you have to pay attention to how something makes you feel in order to be able to even answer that question, right? If, if we're making decisions about what to consume or eat, and then we're not even paying attention to the impact of the way it makes us feel physically, then we won't even know how to answer that question next time. So when you can notice the difference between, wow, when I eat this way, I feel this kind of energy. And when I eat that way, I feel this kind of energy. So it is just that first step is creating more awareness about the body. And um, yeah, that's such a great question is how will I, how will I feel later? Is this what my future self wants? And this, yeah. the answer may be, you know what? Yes. And it's okay, but maybe that'll change how much you have, right. Um, or exactly what you end up deciding to eat. So I like that, that ad that you put there, because it's not that you have to deny every craving. 
it's finding a way to work with yourself though. That's supportive and in the short and long term. Absolutely. What led you to become a coach? It was truly my journey from about 2013 to 2019 that sealed the deal for me, um, becoming and the decision to become a coach. Um, but I would say where it really started or a lot of the transformative part of it started was in 2013. I was diagnosed with cancer while I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, who's now almost nine. Um, and I spent the next four years raising her and then also my second daughter who was born in 2015 as a stay-at-home mom. But then in 2017, I was going through a divorce and I found myself learning how to become a single mom and a co-parent, right? To these two kids under the age of three. And I had decided <laughs> boldly that I wanted to reboot my business as an entrepreneur because I did not want to let that go. And I found myself in complete overwhelm. Um, burnout, if you will, was definitely part of my journey. And I was just trying to do so many things. I wasn't necessarily prioritizing them the right way. And the reason behind me trying to hustle my way there was actually not serving me. And so there was a lot of mindset that I had to uncover. Um, but when I started applying those tools, they helped me get through the adversity, make changes both in my business and my life. Um, it finally led to my first 10K month in business during the pandemic. And it stopped that cycle of chronic stress that I was experiencing. So I started to actually enjoy life more. And I was a lot more calm and a lot more peaceful. And I became a better mom. And so it was at that point, around 2019, I said, I have got to share this work with others, especially entrepreneurs who are taking their business full-time like I was. And just the power of these tools was so incredible. I just, I knew I needed to share it with more people. So that's when I made the decision. Yeah. And I can hear how the the niche that you selected aligns with your own journey and, and transformation experience there. And so you mentioned your cancer diagnosis and some of that journey there. For anyone listening, whether it's a similar medical diagnosis or something else that they're relating to that part of your story, what is there any advice you'd like to offer to them? Oh, um, the, the term self-advocacy comes to mind and it really does speak to intuition. And I'm getting just goosebumps thinking about how I later realized that through that whole diagnosis, which was actually a very quick whirlwind of a couple of weeks because I was pregnant and there was this restriction with when they would be willing to operate because of my pregnancy. And so it was like, I was diagnosed and had to have surgery within two weeks. And so there was all this research that was happening and there were decisions I needed to make. And I remember getting information from all directions, right? from my family, everyone had a different opinion about what I should be doing or how, what the next steps were. And I just remember asking my body at that point, do I need that? Like, do I need that treatment or do I need this treatment? Should I go with option A or option B? And I literally just trusted that my body was telling me the right thing. And it was. And so I opted for surgery that was less invasive at the time where I could have had a much more invasive surgery, which I didn't need, but I just, my, something in my body told me, this is the way to go. This is what's happening. 
it was also telling me you have to make some changes in your life because your body is responding to some of the things that are going on. And so without going too deep into that and, you know, the causes of melanoma and all that, it was, I just trusted my body. And, and the second part of that was that I had to advocate for myself. So while there was, there were opinions, medical opinions coming one way at me, I had to be the final decision maker. And I trusted myself that I knew the right thing to do. And I had to advocate for myself. And part of that was getting a second opinion before the biopsy even happened. So the first doctor I went to did not feel that it needed to be removed. The second doctor I went to said, you need to get this taken care of right now. And she was right. So I listened to my intuition again, which was like, you need a second opinion. Don't wait on this. Had I waited, who knows how much worse it would have been, right? So that self-advocacy, there's a, it's scary sometimes to trust yourself that much. But if you are working on practicing, being in tune with your body, the truth is there. The answer is there. So I know that can feel scary, but um, trust yourself and make the decisions from that place because you're going to have your own back later when you do it that way. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And one of the the nuggets that I took from that as well was it's not that your body's going to give you like this thorough explanation of here is why, and here's what this will lead to. Like you don't tend to get the full synopsis. You just for me, at least it, it's the next step. And I th- feel like that's kind of what you were describing too. It's, it's do this, it's do that. It's these little nudges. Yeah. And just understanding more about how we operate and, and I'll, I'm thinking about human design a little bit as I'm saying this, but we might know about ourselves that, okay, I need to do a certain amount of research on this thing in order for me to feel ready to make a decision. And if that's what you need to do, advocate, tell them you need a little bit of time to do research and then I'll make a decision. Um, for some, it's just, you know, a lot more intuitive for others. It might be getting multiple opinions. Right. And so it's going to depend on the person, um, what that looks like, but understanding like just what feels the best and most natural for ourselves is just kind of what we have to trust that that's, that's the way to go. And that's the path to take. Yeah. So it sounds like human design has been a big help for you to, to read that part of, of you as well. 100%. I first learned about it, I think in early 2020, and I started learning about my human design as a manifesting generator and, um, similar to just the mindset tools and all of these tools that we have in our toolbox, I started to apply it. And some of the first things I noticed was better sleep. Um, another thing I noticed was that I, I need to be really active. It actually makes me feel a lot better to be very active. So movement is really important to me. Movement at the beginning of the day is where my body feels, um, feels the best. So I reprioritized my daily schedule based on some things that I was learning in human design and more about the chakra systems and the throat chakra and um, ways that maybe I was conditioned that weren't serving me. So it's pushed me and challenged me, but it's been so helpful in so many ways that, um, that, yeah, I've started to implement and integrate it more into my program for my clients too, but it's just, it's complex and it's layered, but it is an awesome tool. Yeah. For, for those listening who aren't familiar, it 
looks at where you were born and when you were born. And from that, it gives you insight in terms of, of your own design. And everyone is unique in that way. But what I found so fascinating is I've done so many personality systems, you know, where you answer these behavioral questions and it reveals something about yourself. And none of them pinpointed me as directly, exactly, precisely as human design. And I didn't have to tell it anything other than the when and where I was born. And so it really opened my eyes up to this whole world of astrology and energy and the chakra system and these things that you don't see that doesn't have maybe the same analytical scientific basis at that level and yet is so accurate. Yeah. I think since the pandemic, especially society as a whole is not taking things at face value anymore. We're seeing a lot of shifts in life decisions, career decisions and health and wellness and human design. I feel like while it's been around for a long time, it is, has been a great tool similar to you. It's just like all encompassing and really hit the nail on the head in terms of helping me understand what feels natural to me and, um, what my strengths are and also maybe where I'm, where I struggle some. So yeah, it's just been a great tool that came at a perfect time. I feel like when it was introduced to me to help my clients to make decisions from more aligned places and keeping their body and their energy more in mind than just the results they get on paper, especially in business. Right. And so I love weaving that into my coaching because it's just, it's so much bigger and it's so much more powerful and it's just something I'm really passionate about. So it's in perfect alignment for, for my passion for coaching. So yes, I am diving way into human design. (laughs) Yes. I love it. Yeah. I love using it with, with my clients as well, because it's, it's almost like a stepping stone into intuition too. It gives you a little bit of knowledge around different ways you can tap into yourself that it might be hard to hear on your own at first before you have that trust with yourself. So it's a great way in. Yeah, 100%. I love that you're using it too. What is your design? Again, you have to remind me. Yeah, I'm a manifester, 6'2 emotional manifester. I ride that emotional wave intensely. <laughs> I am also an emotional authority, but a four, six manifesting generator. Love so we it. have some similarities there. We do. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned the soul activation framework, which is something that I use and I teach my clients uh, when I'm coaching with them. What would you say that framework has offered to you or whether personally, whether with your clients? Yes. Let me talk a second for, about this. So first of all, I found you originally and you coached me in sessions that I had signed up with through, you know, our network and the coaching. I can't even remember what we coached on then, but I just remembered it being impactful to me. And so when I found you again and heard that you were doing um, the work that you're doing in soul activation, it was exactly at the perfect time where I realized as much as the mindset tools had been helpful to me and changed my life and business and were helping my clients right have breakthroughs, there were still limitations to it. And um, it was a box of tools that was really helpful, but I knew there was something outside of that. 
And I, I didn't know what it was. And so when you were talking about the selectivation framework, I just remember thinking, this feels like exactly what I'm looking for right now. And it did that. So it gave me another set of tools that when the mindset work falls short, we have another place to go and, and more insight and understanding to gain about what's happening, not just in our brain, but like, um, with our, right with our ego and its desires to keep us safe and feeling secure and wanting to be respected. And those are just not things that, um, I'd fully uncovered yet in this, in the original certification that I did. So it just came at a perfect time. And it, it's just been, it's been really helpful for my clients. I just find it gives them clarity, but also more compassion for themselves and, um, helps them understand why they're showing up the way they are. Well, beautiful. And could you share a little bit more about what you're offering, how people can connect with you as well? Yes, absolutely. So the program that I take my entrepreneur clients through is called Elevate to Epic. It's a three-month program. Most of my clients do renew. After that, I have clients who stay with me well beyond a year, which is awesome. Um, but we prioritize both business and personal goals in that program. And it's designed to help them optimize their performance by leveraging that energy more effectively, develop emotional resilience, especially as leaders, especially if they're managing teams in their business and break through their income ceiling. So it is mind and body focused, um, but it's a three-month program. It is my life's work. It is the only offer I've had since. It's evolved a little bit, but it's really the only program that I've offered since I started coaching. And so I'm constantly adding to it, but it is, yeah, it's just my, it's my flagship program that I love with a passion and anyone who is interested, they can book a discovery call or we can do a consultation for free. And you can find that at katereuter.com slash calendar. And for 30 minutes, we'll jump on the phone and talk about whether it's a great fit and what you're struggling with in your business and how it would look to work together. Awesome. And that will be in the show notes. So everyone, you'll be able to easily find that, take advantage of that offer. And then you also mentioned that you have a podcast. Yes. So I launched the podcast initially when I first became a full-time coach, it was called something different than season two is called. And so now it is going to be, um, and is probably already rebranded and released by the time you listen to this. So it's mind and body intelligence for entrepreneurs. And you can find that on Spotify, iTunes, and all the platforms. Awesome. We'll link to that as well. So people can find both your podcast as well as that offer that you have. So people can, can connect with you. Thank you so much, Lisa.